Okay, let's take our Bibles. And turn to Genesis chapter 34. <clears throat> Genesis 34. And let's just read verse 6 as we begin. Genesis 34, <clears throat> verse 6. It says, And Hamor, the father of Shechem, went out unto Jacob to commune with him. And the sons of Jacob came out of the field when they heard it. And the men were grieved, and they were very wroth, because he had wrought folly in Israel in lying with Jacob's daughter, which thing ought not to be done. Let's commit our time to the Lord in prayer. Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity once more to gather now around your word. Thank you for the time we've already spent considering this passage this morning, and I pray now as we Consider the, the, the rest of the, the events that you would uh, teach us, instruct us through your word this morning. Uh, Lord, may you refresh us, uh, bless us, may we learn of you, uh, see you this morning in your word. And Lord, may you empower me now through the spirit and give me wisdom and guidance as I speak. That Lord, it would be your words, your thoughts. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> now, as we said... Uh, this morning in our first service, this chapter, chapter 34 in Genesis, records uh, one of the most brutal and shameful incidents in the Word of God. And we focused our attention in the first service on uh, the, the reason for it. Uh, we focused on uh, Dinah's defilement there in verses 1 to 5. This was really the cause behind what took place in the rest of the chapter. And we saw that Dinah now around... 16 years of age, maybe a little bit younger. She went out to see the daughters of the land. She was curious to know the customs and the ways of the world. She developed friendships with these other young girls from the city of Shechem. And we talked about how this was a poor choice. She, she chose her friends poorly. She, remain, she failed to remain separate from the world, from their influence. And as a result, she drew the attentions of a young man there the ruler's son, Shechem. And as we talked about, they appear to have spent some time together. And over time, they've developed feelings for one another, a relationship with one another. And it wasn't long before Dinah found herself in a compromising position, yielding to temptation, losing her honor, her purity. And she brought shame upon herself, her family, and indeed upon the Lord. And it's this terrible situation which now leads to the brutal incident that's recorded in the, the rest of the chapter. And the, ev the event now unfolds as Shechem and his father come out to meet with Jacob and his sons and arrange for Dinah and Shechem to be married. And so notice firstly here that we see Hamor and Shechem's honesty. We see Hamor and Shechem's honesty. Let's just read from verse 6, it says, And Hamor, the father of Shechem, went out unto Jacob to commune with him. And the sons of Jacob came out of the field when they heard it, and the, uh, and the men were grieved, and they were very wroth, because he had wrought folly in Israel in lying with Jacob's daughter, which thing ought not to be done. And Hamor communed with them, saying, The soul of my son Shechem longeth for your daughter. I pray you, give her him to wife, and make ye marriages with us, and Give your daughters unto us, and take our daughters unto you. 
and you shall dwell with us, and the land shall be before you. Dwell and trade therein, and get you possessions therein. And Shechem said unto her father and unto her brethren, Let me find grace in your eyes, and what shall you say unto me? And what you say unto me, I shall I will give. Ask me never so much dowering gift, and I will give according as ye shall say unto me, but give me the damsel to wife. You see Hamor and Shechem's honesty here. In verse 6, we see that Hamor with his son, he comes out now to meet with Jacob in an effort to arrange a marriage between the two, okay, to do the right thing after what has taken place between these two, between Dinah and Shechem. Now, Shechem, as we saw this morning, he has expressed his love unto his father, his, his love for Dinah. And he's asked his father to make the necessary arrangements. In verse 3 it says, And his soul clave unto Dinah, the daughter of Jacob, and he loved the damsel and spake kindly unto the damsel. And Shechem spake unto his father Hamor, saying, Get me this damsel, damsel to wife. And so he's expressed his love for Dinah. He's expressed that he cares about her deeply. He wants to marry her, and he's asked his father to make the necessary arrangements. And I think it's important we understand here that as they now come to meet with Jacob and to meet with his sons, they're coming with honest intentions. They're coming to do what is deemed to be the honourable thing in this situation. Get married. As we saw in Deuteronomy 22, verses 28 and 29 this morning, God's law would later state this very fact, that this is what should happen in a situation like this. The two should get married. And so they're coming to agree a dowry so that Shechem might marry Dinah. And it seems at the same time that they are coming with these intentions that Jacob's sons now arrive back from the field. Look in verse 7. So the sons of Jacob came out of the field when they heard it, and the men were grieved. And they were very wroth because he had wrought folly in Israel in lying with Jacob's daughter, which thing ought not to be done. Jacob's sons now return and Upon hearing the news of what has happened, how their sister has lost her honour, lost her purity, been defiled, Jacob's sons are understandably angry. You know, this is their little sister. They're understandably upset that this has happened to their sister of all people. And we're told that they were grieved and very wroth. They're full of anger. You know, too much anger. You know, their sister's honour, her purity has been taken away. Now, as I mentioned this morning, it's a, a serious problem in the ancient world, isn't it? You know, her social status is diminished. Her worth in a marital sense is diminished. And so it's a serious problem in the ancient world. And they believed that Shechem had seduced and taken advantage of their sister, and so they are full of wrath. And we're also told at the end of the verse that in particular... They're angry there, it says, because he hath wrought folly in Israel in lying with Jacob's daughter, which thing ought not to be done. Here we see that they are particularly angry because of the shame that this sin has brought to the family. You know, they are the children of Israel. <clears throat> the children of Israel. They're, they're supposed to remain separate and they prided themselves on this purity, this national purity. And we know that as the Jewish nation develops, this is a big thing for them. Their national purity, their, their pride in being separate, being different. You see, this, this sin shamed their family. It was an embarrassment to them. 
It was something that ought not to be done. It was an embarrassment to them and to their name. Butler notes this, Unfortunately, the rage of the sons of Jacob was not so much about the evil of the act as it was about the embarrassment from the act. If the sons of Jacob were defending righteousness per se here, they would not have engaged in the evil they did later in the chapter. So the point is that their anger here did not stem from a zeal for righteousness, but rather from the embarrassment that the sin had brought to them and their family. And so they approach this meeting now, these negotiations, they approach it full of anger and their only goal is vengeance. That's, that's the starting point here. Okay? They are full of wrath, full of anger, and they are only seeking vengeance as this meeting takes place. And so all parties are now gathered together and we see Hamor ask for Dinah to be given to his son in marriage. We see that there in verse 8, it says, And Hamor communed with them, saying, The soul of my son Shechem longeth for your daughter. I pray you, give her him to wife, and make your marriages with us, and give your daughters unto us, and take our daughters unto you. And you shall dwell with us, and the land shall be before you, Dwell and trade therein and get you possessions therein. <clears throat> Here we see Hamor's proposal um, unto Jacob. And you know, as you read Hamor's proposal to Jacob and to his sons, what we see here is it's the image of one ruler coming out of his city to meet with another ruler, isn't it? Okay? Two rulers meeting together. Hamor approaches Jacob and his family with respect and he he sees this union as one that can profit both parties, can profit both of them. Hamor wants this union to be the first of many between the two. He wants it to be the foundation of a peace agreement that will profit both sides. It says there in verse 9, And make ye marriages with us, and give your daughters unto us, and take our daughters unto you, and ye shall dwell with us, and the land shall be before you. Dwell and trade ye therein, and get, ye possess get your possessions therein. He wants this to be the first of many, doesn't he? Okay, the foundation of a, a peace agreement, the foundation of unity between these two uh, clans, if you like. You know, there's no deception here from Hamor, is there? There's no deception. He's being honest about what he wants. And he is simply acting as any heathen ruler would in this situation. He's seeking to use this marriage for diplomatic purposes, isn't he? And, you know, you read through history and you see this happening between kings and queens of neighboring nations <clears throat> using their children to accomplish diplomatic situations. That's what Hamor's was trying to do here. He wants to establish a diplomatic relation based on this marriage. And then in verse 11 and 12, we see Shechem then, he speaks up and he demonstrates again his, his genuine care for Dinah as he offers to pay any dowry that's set. Let's just read it again. <clears throat> Verse 11. It says, And Shechem said unto her father and unto her brethren, Let me find grace in your eyes, and what you shall say unto me I will give. Ask me never so much dowry and gift, and I will give according as ye shall say unto me, but give me the damsel to wife. <coughs> Excuse me. Now it's clear from Shechem's words here that he cares about her. We've said that this morning already. But it's clear again, isn't it? His genuine care for Dinah. He is willing to pay any dowry that's set. Any dowry. 
It's clear that he's got to know Dinah, that he's deeply in love with her. He cares about her. And in verse 11 there, he asks for, he says, let me find grace in your eyes. Let me find grace in your eyes. He wants to make things right, doesn't he? That's what he's, he's saying here. He says, let me find grace in your eyes. He wants to make things right by taking Dinah as his wife and restore some of her honor. He wants a peaceful agreement and he will pay any cost that they set as dowry, as a bride price. You know, as we consider Hamor and Shechem here in their words, what we see is honesty, don't we? They are very honest in their approach, very honest in what they want out of this. There is no deception. There's no desire here to gain an upper hand over Jacob and his sons. There is a genuine offer to make things right, to restore Dinah's honor through marriage and live in peace. What a contrast that is to Jacob's sons. You see, we see secondly here now Jacob's sons' deceitfulness. Their deceitfulness. Look in verse 13. <clears throat> it says, And the sons of Jacob answered Shechem and Hamor, his father, deceitfully, and said, Because he had defiled Dinah their sister. And they said unto them, We cannot do this thing, to give our sister to one that is uncircumcised, for that were a reproach unto us. But in this we will consent unto you, if you will be as we be, that every male of you be circumcised, then we will give our daughters unto you, and we will take your daughters to us, and we will dwell with you, and we will become one people. But if you will not hearken unto us to be circumcised, then we will take our daughter, and we will be gone. <clears throat> now verse 13, we see immediately what their decision is. It says, And the sons of Jacob answered Shechem and Hamor his father deceitfully. From the very outset, they are talking deceitfully now. This is their choice as to how to respond in these negotiations. As I said, they're motivated only by anger, aren't they? Anger. And all they can think about is getting vengeance on this one they think has seduced and taken advantage of their sister. And so they respond to Hamor and Shechem's honesty. They respond with deceit. Now, before we go on, there are a couple of things that we need to note here. And the first is that Jacob seemingly has no part or knowledge of what takes place from this point on. We don't read of Jacob again until verse 30. Just drop down to verse 30. <clears throat> it says, And Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, You have troubled me to make me stink, make me to stink among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites and the Perizzites. <clears throat> and I being few in number, they shall gather themselves together against me and slay me, and I shall be destroyed, I and my house. And so we don't read again of Jacob until verse 30, where he is clearly disgusted by his son's actions. And so Jacob seemingly leaves the discussions here. <clears throat> he leaves all this uh, talk, agreement over dowry, he leaves it completely to his sons. In particular, the full sons of Dinah. Now, as we mentioned this morning, there is evidence that this was the custom of the day, particularly when there was multiple wives, okay, that it would be left to the full sons, the full brothers of Dinah, to be involved in these discussions and indeed to be the chief negotiators. And so it would seem that Jacob, following custom of the day, he trusts Dinah's brothers to come to an agreement. He trusts them to do the right thing, doesn't he? 
trust them. Now, was this a mistake on Jacob's part to leave it completely to his sons? Well, evidently, yes, because of what happens. But hindsight is a wonderful thing, isn't it? Okay, his trust was misplaced, and we could criticize Jacob here for leaving and leaving it all in his son's hands. We can. But hindsight's a wonderful thing, as I said. And so he does. He trusts his sons, but it is obviously misplaced. The second thing we note here is that the main ones behind this deception are Simeon and Levi. And this is clear from verse 25, <clears throat> where it says, And it came to pass on the third day, when they were sore, that two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brethren. Okay, so it's clear that they are the two chief negotiators here. They're the ones who are clearly behind this deception because of what happens following. Okay, and they're Dinah's full brothers, two of them anyway. And so they're the main ones negotiating here. They're the main ones behind this deception. In verse 14 to 17, we see their deception now take shape. Look in verse 14. It says, And they said unto them, We cannot do this thing to give our sister to one that is uncircumcised, for that were a reproach unto us. But in this will we consent unto you, if you will be as we be, that every male of you be circumcised, then we will give our daughters unto you, and we will take your daughters to us, and we will become, sorry, we will dwell with you, and we will become one people. But if ye will not hearken unto us to be circumcised, then we will take our daughter, and we will be gone. Here we see the deception begin to take shape. They proceed now to tell Shechem and his father that for them to be happy with this marriage arrangement, Shechem must first be circumcised. But not only that, the whole city must agree to be circumcised. Now what we see here is Jacob's sons, they take something that was the sign of the covenant. Remember, this is what God gave to Abraham. This is the sign of the covenant, of the covenant promises. This is something God had given to them to set them apart as his special people. And they take that now and they use it as a bargaining chip. And more than that, they use it as a weapon, don't they? You see, they don't do this because they genuinely want to see the Shechemites converted to the truth. They're not saying that. They're not trying to convert them. This is all about wounding them to take vengeance upon them. Matthew Henry writes this, The Shechemites must be circumcised not to make them holy. They never intended that. But to make them sore that they might become an easier prey to their sword. So they never had any intention of honoring this agreement, did they? From the moment they started talking in verse 14, everything that followed is a lie. They never intended to keep this agreement. Their words are full of deceit, full of lies. You know, as the people of God, they should have behaved better, shouldn't they? As the people of God, the children of Israel, they should have dealt with Shechem and his father, Hamor, honestly as Shechem and Hamor had dealt with them. They should have dealt honestly. You know, they should have sought to come to a peaceful, honest agreement regarding Dinah and Shechem. And you know, when you think about it, this was a perfect opportunity, wasn't it, for them to testify to the Shechemites of who they are and who God had made them, who God had called them to be as a people. You see, they could have honestly here declined any future agreement between the two people, any future 
intermarrying between the two people and said, God has called us to be separate, so we can't do that. We can't agree to give our daughters and take your sons. We can't agree to that in the future. They could have taken this opportunity here to testify of their God, to testify of the call that God had upon them as a people, but instead they choose to act deceitfully and use the sign of the covenant as a vehicle for violence. Their actions here are shameful, to say the least, aren't they? They're shameful. And Shechem and his father, and you feel sorry for them here, Shechem and his father are fooled by the deception. Look in verse 18. It says, And their words pleased Hamor and Shechem, Hamor's son. And the young man deferred not to do the thing, because he had delight in Jacob's daughter. And he was more honorable than all the house of his father. They're fooled. They believe what Jacob's sons have told them. The words please them. And Shechem, it says in verse 19, deferred not to do the thing because he had delight in Jacob's daughter. He's, he's ready to do it immediately. He's ready to carry it out straight away. He wastes no time in carrying out their request. Why? Because he genuinely loves Dinah. He cares about her. And he's willing to make this sacrifice, circumcision for her. And in verse 20 to 23, we see that Shechem now and his father, they return to the city and they convince the men of the city to likewise be circumcised. Let's just read verse 20. It says, And Hamor and Shechem his son came under the gate of the city and communed with the men of their city, saying, These men are peaceable with us. Therefore, let us... Uh, let them dwell in the land and trade therein. For the land, behold, it is large enough for them. Let us take their daughters to us for wives and let us give them our daughters. Only herein will the men consent unto us for to dwell with us, to be one people. If every male among us be circumcised as they are circumcised, shall not their cattle and their substance and every beast of theirs be ours? Only let us consent unto them and they will dwell with us. You know, they go back and they convince now the, the men of the city. And verse 21, these words stand out, don't they? This is how they start. These men are peaceable with us. I don't know about you, but I read that and it just, it already makes me upset at Jacob and his sons. They believed Jacob and his son. sorry, Jacob's sons. Jacob, as I said, has got no part in this right now. They believed that Jacob's sons were sincere. They believed that Jacob's sons had been honest. They believed Jacob's sons were peaceable people. And they go back and they convince their people that this marriage between Dinah and Shechem, that this would benefit all of them. As we just read there, just read again verse 21, it says, These men are peaceable with us, therefore let them dwell in the land and trade therein. For the land, behold, it is large enough for them. Let us take their daughters to us for wives and let us give them our daughters. Only herein will the men consent unto us for to dwell with us, to be one people, if every male among us be circumcised as they are circumcised. Verse 23. Shall not their cattle and their substance and every beast of theirs be ours? Only let us consent unto them, and they will dwell with us. They go back and they, they say to them, look, this will benefit all of us. We agree to be circumcised. They said that we can intermingle, we can become one people. It will profit all of us. You know, from their perspective, Shechem and his father, as they go back to the city, from them, this, this is a diplomatic success, isn't it? 
you know, they go back to the city and they say, this is a great diplomatic opportunity for us. It's one they simply can't pass up. You know, one commentator noted this, they observed that Jacob's sons were industrious, thriving people and promised themselves and their neighbours advantage by alliance with them. It would improve ground and trade and bring money into their country. That's how they're looking at this. This is a diplomatic opportunity. It's going to benefit both of us. We're going to both succeed and both get richer by this agreement. Now you can sense the excitement in their voice, can't you? As they come back and they explain the terms of this agreement to their people and the benefits of this union. And the people share in their excitement, don't they? In verse 24, we see they all agree to be circumcised. It says, And under Hamor and under Shechem, his son hearkened all that went out of the gate of his city. And every male was circumcised, all that went out of the gate of his city. The people are likewise excited by this agreement. And they agree to be circumcised. And it's while they are recovering from this operation that Jacob's sons now carry out their wicked plan. And so we see now Simeon and Levi's wicked vengeance. Simeon and Levi's wicked vengeance. Look at verse 25. It says, And it came to pass on the third day, when they were sore, that two of, Jacob's, uh, two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brethren, took each man his sword, <coughs> and came upon the city boldly, and slew all the males. And they slew Hamor, and Shechem his son with the edge of the sword, and took Dinah out of the Shechem's house, and went out. The sons of Jacob came upon the slain and spoiled the city because they had defiled their sister. They took their sheep and their oxen and their asses and that which was in the city and that which was in the field and all their wealth and all their little ones and their wives took they captive and spoiled even all that was in the house. You know, Simeon and Levi, they knew that on the third day, that was when the men of Shechem would be in the most discomfort and that they would be basically incapacitated because of the recent circumcision. And so on this day, they now enter into the city and they brutally murder, they slaughter, they massacre all the men of the city. As we just read there in verse 25, And it came to pass on the third day, when they were sore, that two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brethren, took each man his sword and came upon the city boldly and slew all the males. This was nothing but mass murder. That's what this is. This is not war. This is mass murder. Now, just a couple of days before this, they had pretended to deal with the Shechemites as friends. As we saw in verse 21, these men are peaceable. They pretended to be friends. And now in a bloodthirsty rage, they enter into each house and they murder all the men of the city. The actions of Simeon and Levi here are horrific, to say the least. And no doubt they felt like heroes as they brought Dinah back from the city. Now look in verse 26. And they slew Hamor and Shechem his son with the edge of the sword and took Dinah out of Shechem's house and went out. No doubt they felt like heroes. We brought our sister back out of this situation. They felt like heroes, but they were not heroes, they were murderers. And if that wasn't enough, in verse 27 to 29, we see they also then plunder the city, don't they? Verse 27, it says, The sons of Jacob came upon the slain and spoiled the city because they had defiled their sister. 
they took their sheep, their oxen, and their asses, and that which was in the city, and that which was in the field, and all their wealth, and all their little ones, and their wives took they captive and spoiled even all that was in the house. They go back and they plunder the city. In verse 27, it, it says the sons of Jacob came. And so it seems now that they are joined by more of the sons of Jacob. It's not just Simeon and Levi now. Some of the other sons have joined in. And so now those who hadn't participated in the murders, they become accessory to murder, don't they? As they now plunder and they rob the city of all of its wealth, not only that, they become slavers as well, don't they? Look at verse 29, it says, And all their wealth and all their little ones and their wives they took captive. They also become slavers. They take captive the little ones. They take captive the women. There is no excusing their actions here. There is no way you can look at this and you can try and you know, put pain on it and make it look good. There is no way to make their actions okay. Their actions here are wicked and sinful. They deceived the people of Shechem into believing they desired peace. And when they were helpless to defend themselves, they murdered and pillaged the city. There's no honor in any of this, is there? There's no justice in any of this. This is not righteous. Plain and simple, it is wickedness, and it's fueled by their vengeful anger. That anger that we saw back in verse 7. That's where this all stems from. That anger, that vengeful wrath that they let get out of control. And by their actions, Simeon and Levi and indeed the other sons brought more shame upon the name of Israel and upon God than Dinah's defilement ever did. You notice that? Dinah's defilement was wrong. Yes, Shechem's sin with their sister was wrong. It shamed them as a family. She lost her honor. But it didn't warrant this sinful response. I mean, that pales into insignificance, doesn't it? Next to what they have done here. And we see now, lastly, that Jacob is rightly disgusted. We see Jacob's disgust. Look in verse 30. So Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, Ye have troubled me to make me to stink among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites and the Perizzites. And I being few in number, they shall gather themselves together against me and slay me, and I shall be destroyed, I and my house. You know, as we mentioned earlier, Jacob, he appears to be completely unaware of anything that has transpired here. He left the matter in the hands of his sons. He had trusted them to come to a peaceful agreement. And the first he learns of what they've actually done seems to be as they were returning from the city with the spoils and the slaves now in tow. And Jacob sees them coming. He learns what they have done. And Jacob's response is one of disgust, isn't it? He says there in verse 30, he says, Ye have troubled me to make me to stink among the inhabitants of the land. He says, You've made me to stink, to be a vile stench in the land amongst the inhabitants. You know, Jacob, he had been trying to live peaceably with the people of Shechem, the people of the land. And he no doubt desired that through his testimony and his family's testimony that they might even bring others to the knowledge of the one true God. What was the very first thing Jacob had done when he settled near Shechem on that parcel of land? He built an altar unto the Lord. Look back there in verse chapter 33. 
Verse 19, it says, And he bought a parcel of a field, where he had spread his tent at the hand of the children of Hamor, Shechem's father, for a hundred pieces of silver, and he erected there an altar, and called it El Elihi Israel. The first thing he did when he bought that parcel of land all those years earlier was to erect an altar unto the Lord, and he called it God, the God of Israel. He says, this is our God, and this is where we will worship him. He established a, a place of worship there in the land. And they've lived in the land now in front of these people for a series of years, haven't they? For several years. The people of Shechem have seen them worshipping God, haven't they? They've seen them worshipping the Lord here at this altar. They've learnt about Jacob's God. Jacob had been maintaining a testimony before the ungodly inhabitants. But that testimony is just completely obliterated right now, isn't it? By the actions of his sons. Anything they gained before the people, any respect, is completely gone. Morris writes this, Whatever testimony his family might have had was gone. Instead of being a witness for truth and love, their name would become associated with deception and cruelty. They had become an actual stench to the other Canaanites in the land. With their vaunted moral purity becoming an, an excuse for murder and pillage rather than an example of God's holiness and mercy. That's disgusting, isn't it? I mean, they really took something that should have been part of their moral purity. God gave us this covenant to make us his people. This is part of our moral purity as a nation. They took that and they used it as a vehicle to you know, commit mass murder, to be brutal upon these people. Jacob's sons brought reproach, not just upon Jacob and their family, but they brought reproach to the name of the Lord. And any testimony they had was destroyed. And Jacob knew that they faced retaliation, didn't he? In verse 30, it says at the end of the verse, And I being few in number, they shall gather themselves together against me, and slay me, and I shall be destroyed, I and my house. Jacob knew that when the other cities learned of what had happened, the rest of the Canaanites and the Perizzites, when they learned what had taken place, they would gather together and seek vengeance themselves. Seek to destroy them. And Jacob knew it would, only, it would take divine intervention for them to be spared. Matthew Henry writes this, Jacob knew indeed that God had promised to preserve and perpetuate his house. But he might justly fear that these vile practices of his children would amount to a forfeiture and cut off the entrail. Jacob rightly feared the consequence of sin, didn't he? He feared what the consequence of their actions was going to be. You know, in chapter 35, verse 5, we learn that God was indeed gracious. Chapter 35, verse 5, it says, And they journeyed, and the terror of God was upon the cities that were round about them, and they did not pursue after the sons of Jacob. That's the grace of God, isn't it? God protected them so that they were not pursued. He put the fear of them into the other cities. This is God's mercy. This is God's love unto them as a people. They did not deserve his divine protection after what they had done, did they? They didn't deserve it. But God in his grace, God in his mercy, kept his promises to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, and he preserved them. He protected them. You know, in verse 31, we see their response to their father's rebuke. Look at verse 31. It says, And they said, Should he deal with our sister as with an harlot? 
This is their response. Now, after the father says, you've made me to stink, you've possibly brought consequences upon our family, their response is, instead of humbly acknowledging their sin, acknowledging that what they had done was wrong, we see them try to justify themselves, don't we? And their reply is one of insolence, really, to their father. You know, they say, should he deal with our sister as with an harlot? Basically, they say to their father, what did you want us to do? Nothing. That's really their response here. What did you want us to do? Nothing. Of course, Jacob didn't want them to do nothing. Jacob wanted them to do what was right, what was holy, what was pure, what was just. Jacob wanted them to do something, but he wanted them to do what was right in the eyes of God, not that which was horrible and disgusting and brutal, even in a worldly sense. Instead, they let their vengeful anger dictate their actions and it destroyed the testimony of their family. Now, this whole terrible event here in chapter 34, and it is a terrible event, isn't it? It's a terrible chapter, really, one you don't like reading. But this whole terrible event highlights the consequences of sin, doesn't it? Now, we saw this morning Dinah being unwise in her choice of friends. And she found herself in a compromising position. And she lost her honor, she lost her purity. And we saw the consequences of not maintaining separation from the world. We talked about that this morning. And in the second half of the chapter, we've seen the consequences of responding with anger and taking vengeance upon those who have wronged us, who we perceive have done injustice to us. You know, all that happens when we do that, when we respond with anger and vengeance, all that happens is we destroy our testimony, don't we? We destroy our testimony and we turn people away from the Lord. We don't turn them to Christ, we're turning them away from the Lord. Now Romans 12 verse 19 says, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Now God's word is clear, isn't it? Instead of letting that anger take hold of us, we ought to let it go, give it to the Lord and let him take care of it. Instead of seeking to get even, we are to respond with love and with grace and seek to live peaceably with all men. There's that same idea. We keep seeing that with Jacob, don't we? This idea of live peaceably with all men. That's what God desires from us. Of course, that doesn't mean compromise, and we understand that. It doesn't mean compromise. We are to stand fast in the truth of God's word. We are to be bold in the stand for righteousness. But beloved, when we are wronged or when we feel like we are being treated unjustly, that does not give us the right to then speak out in angry, angry and vengeance and take it out on people, does it? Instead, we are to commit that wrong, that injustice to the Lord and respond in grace. Seeking to maintain a godly testimony. I think 1 Peter 2 verse 12 sums it up perfectly. It says, having your conversation honest. Jacob's sons did not have an honest conversation, did they? Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Beloved, may our actions, may our conversation be honest so that we might lead others to glorify God. That's really the lesson that comes from this, isn't it? Jacob and his sons, by their actions, led people away from God. Beloved, we need to make sure our actions lead others to glorify God.
lead them to the truth. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Lord, and then we, Father, we thank you for your word once more this morning. And Lord, before us this morning is a chapter that is just horrible to read. To see the sons of Jacob act in such a, a brutal, horrible way. But Lord, may you help us to learn the lesson from it this morning. Lord, we experience the wrongs of people. We're treated unjustly at times. And Lord, we are to be bold and stand for righteousness. We are to not compromise. But Lord, help us also to make sure we respond with grace and with love and truth. Not respond in anger and with vengeful wrath. Lord, may you help us to have our conversation honest. And may our actions point others to you. Lead them to glorify you rather than turning them away from you, Lord, we pray. Bless now as we close in Jesus' name. Amen.